Welcome to the Avail Podcast, where we dig deep and talk about the art of leadership. My name is Virgil Sierra, and today we're tuning into a replay of our live call with Bishop Jerry Macklin. Bishop Jerry has a heart for serving others, and alongside his wife, Vanessa, founded the far-reaching Glad Tidings Church of God in Christ and Glad Tidings International. Today, he'll be sharing insights from his new book, The Canvas of Tomorrow. Let's get started. Bishop Jerry Macklin. Bishop Jerry, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing just great this morning here in California. The sun is shining, and uh, we are excited about being on today, and we welcome everybody to Hayward, California, United States of America. Hello, everybody. We're glad to have you. <laughs> So happy to be here with you, Bishop Macklin. I'm excited about getting into our conversation today about your new book, uh, The Canvas of Tomorrow. Now, before we get into, into, into the details and into the, just a little bit of teaching from you and some Q&A, can you just share maybe a, a quick summary of, of, of your story, Bishop Macklin, who you are, where you are, and how God brought you there? Thank you very much. It is, uh, again, uh, great to be here, and thank you to the Avail team and all of our friends that are there. Uh, we appreciate being uh, online this morning. Uh, this is really a story of a uh, minister and his wife who were redirected at the last minute uh, into a city that he knew nothing about. Um, I live in Hayward. I grew up in the Bay Area, right across the uh, Bay here in San Mateo, in Palo Alto. And uh, we had accepted a call into a church in uh, Louisiana, in the Lafayette area, Lafayette and Crowley. And uh, I was about 24 years old, maybe. And uh, Lady Macklin and I uh, went down to Louisiana, said, all right, we like this church. They liked us. We didn't have nothing else going anyway, so we were happy to go. And uh, so we went down to Louisiana, told them we'll be back. Give us a, a month or two to get our business together, and we'll come back, and we'll pastor this church there in, in Lafayette, uh, Crowley area. And uh, so that's what we planned to do. But then coming through Hayward uh, a few weeks later, while we were working on our closing out all of our business here in the Bay Area, stopped in Hayward, car overheated. And uh, was standing right downtown in the middle of uh, Hayward there on Mission and A Street, right there at a station that's still there, which is a, um, I think, a 76 station. And while I'm standing on the corner, the Lord speaks to me and says, do not go to Louisiana, and this will be your city. I'll give you this city. And, uh, of course, being a man of God and knowing the voice of God, I said, no, loose, come out of here. No, that's not God speaking. And, uh, of course, a minute later, I heard the voice again. I knew it was God. And I went back across the bay, told my wife and my father what the Lord had said. We got in our car, drove directly to Hayward, had never been on Tennyson Road a day in our life, which is where our church is. And uh, as I turned off the freeway, four blocks off of the main freeway here at 880, came right up past this church. And as I saw the church, I made a U-turn, came back, parked in front. And uh, the Lord uh, spoke to me. And I told my wife, the Lord said, if we come to Hayward, this will be our church. And of course, it had somebody else's name on it. Uh, but uh, exactly three years to the day that we started the ministry in Hayward, which was in uh, 1978 in April, three years later to the exact date is the day uh, that we marched into that very church. And so I am a living witness that God can change directions and change your destiny if you will follow the voice of God. And so that's how it started out. We started out in our home, of course, uh, uh, with a Bible study. I walk around town and tell people, hey, you like good food? My wife's a great cook. Why don't you come over next Tuesday night? We have a Bible study and she'll feed you. And uh, that's how things got started. Before long, the church began to grow. Uh, we've got a building that the Lord blessed us with. 
uh, to use downtown at another church that was kind enough to let us use theirs. And uh, then uh, we started in our own in our own facility. And once we were there, the Lord blessed us in a marvelous way to get started. But it was not an easy task. But every time, every step we took was a step of faith. And we began there. Once we were here in Hayward and got started and the ministry began to grow when we began to move forward, crack cocaine came and it hit our neighborhood like a ton of bricks. And it wow. turned this neighborhood into an absolute war zone. People were knocking their own parents in the head to get money to buy uh, the drug dealers decided, hey, this is the fertile uh, ground. We'll just come here and set up shop. And before long, this was one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the Bay Area. It just turned backwards. It went all wrong. And uh, there was a lot of cry from the congregation and from others saying, let's get out of here. This place has gone bad. And uh, as we begin to pray and look toward God to see, Lord, what do we do now? The Lord spoke to me. Again, I heard God's voice, and I know there's a lot of controversy about who you heard. I heard God's voice, and I heard the Lord say to me that light shines brightest where it's darkest. Light shines brightest where it's darkest. At that point, I knew that God was speaking to us and telling us, do not go. And even though the neighborhood was absolutely on fire, it was just crazy here. Nobody wanted to walk down the streets. The gangs controlled the corners. It was a war zone. But the Lord said to me, if you do what I tell you, I will bless you. And so we decided we're not going any place. We're going to set up. And rather than run from the situation, we're going to run to it. And uh, I began to embrace some principles that later became essential to the growth of our church. And perhaps we'll talk about a few of those as we go through this morning. And that's when we took on this neighborhood that nobody else wanted. And God gave us uh, grace to go forward. Cannot tell you I had a master strategy. And I said, we're going to do this for three years and this for six years, that for seven years. What I did embrace which I later learned what it, it was, and that was go as far as you can see, and you'll see further. You'll hear that within the book, uh, page after page. You'll hear me say that again and again. Go as far as you can see, and you'll see further. And that's what started us on the journey. We had very little money. Uh, well, actually, we didn't have any money, really. But uh, we had very little money. We got started. And before long, we began to embrace a, a new ministry strategy which was to purchase property uh, with no money down, of course, but begin to purchase property one little piece at a time. And then from that piece that was purchased little by little, we began to change and then face the challenges that came with change. Because few challenges come, if they're real challenges indeed, few challenges come without facing uh, the trouble that comes with it. And every real challenge comes with its own trouble. And so as we began to do that, we learned ministry, we learned to trust God, we learned to walk with God. And uh, my father had said to me years earlier, and I don't mean any, any disrespect to anybody, but he said, son, if you're going to pastor in the neighborhoods where our churches are, you will have to learn early on how to pastor men. And he said, if you can't win the respect of men on that street and men in that community, you're going to have a real challenge trying to build a great church in that community and in that environment. And I understood what he was saying, and I watched my father as he did that in East Palo Alto, which was another real challenge neighborhood, not far from Stanford, but it was, a, it was a fireplace, I tell you. But I saw my dad begin to open up men's homes and women's homes and take ministry to the street. And that became my model, which was not only do you pastor the church, but you pastor the community. And if you're not willing to pastor the community, your church will often be viewed as a club and not as a changing place where the gospel is preached. But if it works in the church, it ought to work on the street. And I began to challenge God and say, God, if you call me, then this has to work outside as well as inside. And we began to say over and over again that it's not the size of your church that determines the size of your ministry. It's the size of your vision. 
And so every time we faced a challenge, that was another call for us to look at vision again and for our vision to expand to meet the trouble that we were facing. And that's what happened. Through all of this, that became the driving force behind this story. And the story ended up coming out of Nehemiah, which became our principal book of study. And I didn't realize until much later that the book of Nehemiah that had been ingrained in my spirit was a result of the fact that I grew up in a little church called Macedonia, Church of God in Christ, in San Mateo, California, small church uh, on the corner in the middle of the neighborhood. But on the wall, from the time I can remember reading as a little child, there was always a sign on the wall from my great uncle who had founded the church. And it said, and all the wall was joined together to the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. And that, that verse from Nehemiah was absolutely implanted into my spirit. And over the years, I would continue to go back to that. Every time we had a challenge, every time we faced something new, I would go back to the book of Nehemiah. And that became the push. That became the force. And I took our church through the book of Nehemiah. I can't tell you how many times. And I'm sure there's some of our members that can remember large passage of it, of that book by, you know, by memory, because that became the book that drove us forward as we looked at the story of Nehemiah. And so the story of Glad Tidings is really the story of Nehemiah. Uh, and the challenge of one church in a challenged neighborhood. And we tell the story over 43 years, this book tells the story of what we went through and what happened here and how God worked. And I can't tell you that every day was a great day. I can't tell you that we won everything that we went up against. But then I soon learned the value of what we were doing. And I began to understand that it's not just what challenges you, but what matters more is what you challenge. And I begin to say, I will not be determined by simply those who challenge me, but I'm going to be defined by what I challenge. And the more you challenge tells me more about who you are, what matters to you, what your mission is, because if that's truly your mission, you will challenge whatever's in front, enabling you to absolutely accomplish the mission that God has for you. So that becomes the driving force. That becomes the story of Nehemiah, but that becomes our story. And so when you read the book, the, 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 the running uh, uh, text of Nehemiah runs pretty consistently and chronologically, but our story runs a little bit different as we go and we tell our story as it relates to what was going on with Nehemiah. And so that's really where it starts. That's how it begins. And uh, so the opening, uh, the opening lines in the book actually began not at the beginning of our ministry, but it opens up by saying, Jerry, uh, the word in the yard is that there's a hit out on a preacher in Hayward. Is that you? Well, those words came from a very dear friend of mine, Gerald Harris, uh, Pastor Gerald Harris. Now we were roommates in school back many, many years ago. And he was now the uh, assistant warden of Soledad Prison, which is one of the famous <laughs> prisons that doesn't have the best record. And uh, Gerald was the, uh, the assistant warden. He had straight uh, news from what was going on in the yard. And by that time, the news of knocking off a preacher who was disturbing the drug trades here in the Bay Area, and particularly in South Hayward, had made it to the prisons. And the word was out that somebody was going to put a close to that because I had messed up too much business. But it wasn't me that was messing it up. It was the fact that God was stepping into this environment. And when God steps in and begins to change, I can't tell you that everybody's happy. So I tell pastors everywhere, everybody, and we learned this in Nehemiah, everybody is not excited about what you're doing for God. Everybody's not excited about the change that is coming your way. And when you step in and step outside of your church and begin to proclaim the gospel and begin to help people see themselves in a new light, 
everybody's not going to be happy about that. And you're going to have to deal with what's going on. And we had to deal with it from month after month, year after year. And it became, um, uh, well, it became a testimony. It turns into a testimony of God's grace and God's mercy. But it was what God did and how God kept us and protected us through all of this. And yes, it got very violent. It got very crazy around here. Uh, the police come. I had to move out of my house. They tell me, Reverend, listen, you've got to go now. Uh, we can't keep you alive. And I had to remind them, I don't think you're keeping me alive now anyway. Uh, but they moved us down, I don't know, 20, 30 miles from where we are now to get us out of town. And uh, it would, was my wife, God bless her heart, Vanessa, who was with me all the time. And, and she said uh, to me, she said, honey, listen, uh, uh, we're not going anywhere because I was telling her you need to go back to Oregon because this is going to get pretty wild. And she said, we're not going anyplace. We're sticking with you. We're going to stay right with you. And whatever happens is going to happen together. So I come back to the neighborhood after being gone for a few days, and there are police cars, undercover people. It was absolutely wild around here. And uh, But I felt the Lord saying to me that I am with you. I am with you. And through that, I began to recognize that the only thing standing between me and what God wanted me to accomplish was fear and atmosphere. And I said, God, give me the strength to overcome. And it was God who gave us the strength. And I saw men being converted. I saw men coming off the street who were coming to know Jesus as their personal savior, who then turned around and, and, and said, listen, we're sticking with you. We're by your side. And I saw many of the ladies in our church who was willing to walk. But more importantly, many of them were willing to carry on the prayer ministry in this church that was almost a daily occurrence. And uh, God used that to build a fence around us to allow us to go forward. Now, I know there are many more. I don't want to take too much time so we can deal with uh, the other things. And I can pause here and then pick that up at whatever time you're ready, Pastor Virgo. Go right ahead. Yeah, well, this is just an awesome story, Bishop Macklin, because um, uh, it just testifies to how powerful the journey has been. Um, in your life, in your ministry, you know, for the church God put in your hands. Um, and, and, and I'm, I'm making an assumption here, but maybe you can speak to this, um, through this book, right through this new book, I, it's a beautiful book. I see it right there behind you, the canvas of tomorrow. Um, I imagine that part of your heart is you want to empower some people. You want to empower some pastors, some ministry leaders, some people in their communities, to go out and make a difference. Can you talk about that? Just your heart behind why you wrote this book and what your hope is through this book. Thank you very much, Pastor. Yes, I'll, I'll be more than willing to do that and maybe walk through a few of the chapters, at least touch on them very quickly. Uh, after 43 years and looking back, uh, I began to ask myself, what can I leave on record that will matter? How can I help others? How can I help them to understand that your church is not the size of your building? that it is not the size of the neighborhood that you're in, but that God has a purpose for every one of us. And so this book begins to un, unpack that to some degree. Uh, in, in chapter uh, early on, starting out, I, I talk about the fact that, that we all have a canvas, all right? And every one of us uh, has the canvas that God has given us. And we must determine uh, what will you do with your life and what will you do with your life that matters? Every one of us, not just pastors, but everyone that's within the body of Christ, understand that Nehemiah was not a priest, he wasn't a prophet, he was a layman, all right? And his life mattered and changed uh, the situation of an entire city of people who were depressed and uh, who were down, who had given up, and uh, it made a difference. God can use every one of us. And I, I talk in this book about the fact that God has given all of us a canvas. And I've stood at the bedside of people who were passing away and said, boy, I wish I had did more that really made a difference in this world. 
And so I ask people all the time, what can we do together that can make a difference in the world, make a difference in the community, make a difference in the place where we live? And so we begin by talking about we all have a canvas. And I think the story, I just had breakfast early this morning with one of our deacons who just got the book here a couple of days ago. And he told me this morning, he said, Bishop, I'm so excited. I read one. I read the story that you have in the book. And I said, oh, what story did you read? He said, the story about the preacher who was a painter. And he begins to tell me the story. And he was so excited. He was just about to jump out of the booth. And he said, man, that's a great story. And it's the story about a preacher, a young man who comes to a neighborhood and he was doing his normal pastoral duties. But on Mondays, he would take off at the beginning of the week. He'd always take a day off and go down into where the real heart of the city was, where there was just really not much hope and not much light. And he would walk there with his canvas in his hand, and he would try to find something to paint. Well, he finally one day goes down, he finds a young man who's laying in the streets, in the gutter, water coming across him, and he's just drunk, he's just all messed up. And this young man looks at him, doesn't disturb him, but then goes up an old abandoned building right in front of him, goes up to about the second floor, looks out the window, sets up his canvas and his paints. And this young man, who is also uh, an artist, is looking out the window at this young man, and he says, I'm going to paint his picture, and he begins to paint on the canvas, all right, of this man who's lying down in the gutter. And after, I don't know, an hour or two, however long it took him to paint this, he finally picks up his canvas, runs back down the stairs of this old building, and then goes to where the man is, sets up his canvas, and sets up the easel and all of that. And then he picks the man up and puts him in his arms. And he said, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. Man, what do you want? You know, he said, wake up. Look, I just painted your picture. He said, you painted my picture? He said, yeah, look at the canvas. And uh, the man looks up and sees, and he goes, that ain't me. He said, yes, that's you. Well, the problem was he was not laying in the canvas. He's not laying in the gutter. But he's standing up. He's got this three-piece suit on. His shoes are shine. He's got a briefcase in his hand. He's walking like he's really going somewhere. Has a hat and it's tilted to one side with his tie on. This guy is dressed up like a big businessman, and he's on his way. And the guy in the, in the gutter looks up, and he goes, that's me? And the preacher says, yeah, that's you. And he says, that's the way I see you. That's the way God sees you. And the guy says, well, what am I doing down here? And then he gets up, dusts himself off, looks at the preacher. My, he said, hey, I'm out of here. And he takes off walking like he's going someplace for real, for real. Well, that story is really the heartbeat of this church. We have to not only paint on the canvas, but we have to help others see themselves the way God sees them, the way God sees their future. And every one of us have an opportunity in all of our lives to paint on the canvas. It's not who gets the credit, it's that God gets the glory. All of us have the opportunity to have life look different through the eyes of God. That's what we're trying to tell in this story. So in chapter number one, we talk about uh, uh, the fact that we all have a canvas and every one of us has a, a brush in their hand. Uh, uh, second of all, we, we talk about, do you hear what I hear? All right. Uh, the idea that it was uh, Nehemiah who heard the words when his brothers came uh, to town and told him what was going on. It, it's Nehemiah. The Bible said he sat down, he wept, he mourned, he fasted certain days. My God, that's because of what he heard. And so I want to ask the question, what do you hear? What are you hearing today? Yeah, I know you hear the noise around you, but what are you hearing? And that that he heard caused him to sit down and weep. And, and I ask people all the time, when's the last time you cried over something that wasn't yours? When's the last time you wept over a crisis or wept over a situation and looked at it and tears filled your eyes? All right. That's what I wanted to know. Uh, the, the next uh, chapter talks about ministry is risky business. Uh, great progress is often the result of great risk. And people who are not willing to risk much 
will seldom have much to celebrate, all right? And so if you're going to make a real change, risk is on the way. It's coming your way. And so we talk about what he had to risk. And this uh, this wonderful Nehemiah, this layman who uh, had stayed uh, there uh, in, in, in that area in, in Susani, where he was still there, everybody else had gone back, not everybody, but many had gone back to Jerusalem, but he chose to stay as a layman, ends up working for uh, for the king. Uh, he has a respected position high up uh, in, in, in the in, in the authority levels of, of, of the community uh, there in the kingdom. He's moving and going places, and uh, the king trusts him. Uh, he only had one major problem. He couldn't get life insurance, but outside of that, uh, he was on his way. He's doing great. Uh, some people believe that he was in charge of the king's iPad or the king's iPhone. You couldn't get an appointment unless you came through him, and uh, he's really got something going on. But once he heard what was going on, he said, listen, I got to sit down and pray. I got to sit down and, and, and go through this. This thing has really gripped me. And so I say to people all the time who tell me about they have a vision, I have a vision, I have a vision. And I, I talk about this in the book. I talk about the difference between a wish, a dream, and a vision. But I will say in closing about that part of it, that if you really have a vision, you don't have a vision. A vision has you. You've been captured by that vision. And I ask people all the time, what have you been captured by? And this book tries to talk about what that is and what it feels like to be captured by that and what happened to us when we were captured by uh, this vision. Uh, the next chapter talks about seeing through the darkness. Uh, don't allow darkness to obstruct your view. Don't allow darkness to obstruct your view. You've got to learn to see through that. You know, in the wars that took place some years ago over in the Middle East, it was those who had uh, the ability and the apparatus to be able to see through the darkness that turned the war around because they not only could fight during the day, they could fight at night. And uh, when we fight, we got to be able to do that. The next voice, the next voice that comes, the next challenge that comes, the next uh, chapter that comes talks about fighting above your weight class. All right. I'm no great athlete, but I sure did enjoy watching Sugar Ray uh, uh, Leonard. Boy, I just like watching that young guy fight. And uh, what made him famous was he not only fought at his level, but what made him famous, uh, Pastor Virgil, was that he learned to fight people above his weight class. And uh, he would take them on, even though they were bigger than he. I say to churches, I say to pastors, and this is the heartbeat of this church, listen, folks, you've got to learn not only to fight in your weight class, because people make an assumption that because your church only has 100 members, then you have to stay within that weight class. You can take on challenges that are in another weight class. And when you fight above your weight class, you become a threat to a lot of people. And I'll talk about the story in the book about how we came up against a Fortune 500 company, uh, a Shivering Oil. And somebody said, you can't take them on. I said, well, listen, we're going to take them on and we're going for it anyway, because there needs to be a change and they're holding up change in this neighborhood. And so we took them on. Every pastor, every church, every member can come together within their church and talk about what can we challenge? What can we fight? Even though it looks like we're not big enough to do it. You're big enough to do it because you and God certainly can turn things around. Uh, then we finally move on to another chapter, and I'm, I will bring this to a close in just a few minutes. Uh, doing all to stand, uh, where we talk about Nehemiah standing against powers that intimidated others. And so we learned that uh, whatever you're going through, uh, God will give you the strength to stand against it. Don't be afraid. Don't back off. God has called you to make a, a difference. He's 
called you to challenge the status quo, and you can do that. Your voice can speak and be the voice of God speaking righteousness in unrighteous situations. And I believe that that happens. We'll take a look at what happened in Flint, Michigan. We'll take a look about what happened uh, with Martin Luther King and, and talk about uh, the visions that they had and, and, and what happens and how do you respond when the neighborhood goes bad and what you can do about that. One of the things that comes up in this book uh, on more than one occasion, and there are a few pictures that kind of demonstrate some of that, is something what I call rebranding your community, rebranding your community. And so pastor more than your church. Uh, churches uh, have impact on more than just what goes on inside your building. If all of your ministry, the majority of your ministry, and I'm sure Sam Chan has told us this before, but if the majority of your ministry is all aimed toward you, then you understand that you're going to have little impact on anybody else outside. We're going to come across as a club. But uh, we can minister to people, even though they're not members of our church, but you can absolutely welcome them as members of this community. You can pastor everybody. And I tell the story in this book uh, about my dear friend Ernie Morris uh, there in Philadelphia, about how he got started there. And I think it's Germantown, part of Philadelphia, what was really, really rough, really, really bad. And, and Ernie, uh, Bishop Ernie now, he would walk around and, and, and tell people when he started out, he said, hi, my name is Ernie Morris and I'm your pastor. And people would be, you ain't my pastor, man. I don't even know who you are. I say, yeah, I'm your pastor. I pastor this whole neighborhood. And I'm your pastor. Here's my card. Call me if you need something. And uh, pretty soon, people started calling him pastor. Well, you can pastor more than people, the people who walk down your aisle on a Sunday morning. You can take on the entire neighborhood. Uh, churches can begin to embrace people that live there and welcome them as part of your community. And so if you can get over your challenge of having to have people join that look just like you, you can begin to welcome people, whatever they look like, whatever they sound like, wherever they're coming from. And uh, that's a big piece of where we are. Uh, we'll get into some of the other things, I guess, in just a minute. But uh, we talk about good trouble ahead, how Nehemiah endures what others would have would have perhaps given up on. And then the fact that the stone is the builders, uh, what the stone that the builders rejected become the head of the cornerstone. Well, uh, your community uh, can be impacted. Your The lives of family members within your church and around your church can be impacted by the ministry of people within that church. And our job is not to just get people to join one of the auxiliaries in the church, but get church members who are filled with God's spirit, my God, to invade, so to speak, the community, serve on different boards, serve here and serve there, and bring the light of the gospel into your community. And you'll begin to see that the canvas that you're painting on is going to be infecting and impacting the lives of others beside. And that's really what my heart is, is to be able to see God use everyday people to bring glory to the kingdom, because all of us have a brush and all of us have a canvas. What are you doing with yours? That's my question. Go ahead, Pastor Virgil. I'm all right. Woo! Come on, somebody bring a fire extinguisher. <laughs> Bishop Macklin is on fire. Hey, in the chat, just can you guys type Bishop is on fire. <laughs> if you speak Spanish, you can put en fuego. I speak Spanish, en fuego. Uh, I love this, Bishop. I'm getting fired up just hearing you uh, not only talk about your story, but talk about this book. Woo! I'm, I'm really excited. I got a lot of questions. I also want to mention to anybody who's on live right now, this is a live call webinar. Uh, if you have any questions, use the Q&A tab on the bottom of the window, the Zoom window. Uh, also, if you're on Facebook, you can put a question in there. Our team, will, we're going to try to get to them. Um, Bishop, 
in a few moments, I'm going to share with everybody how they can get this book. Okay. Cause they're, they're going to be the first ones to get it hot off the press. But here's my question for you. Um, you, you talk about the story, the title of the book is the canvas of tomorrow. And then the subtitle is Nehemiah and the story of one church in a challenged neighborhood. Here's my question. Here's my question. Um, how did, how did Nehemiah go from having the vision to beginning to paint it? Right. And then, and then, you know, as that's related to you and your church and your ministry and to us, we're hearing you, we're getting excited and fired up about what God's called us to do. How do we go from having the vision of it to actually beginning to paint? You know, Pastor, I'm glad you, you, you brought that up. Let me, let me share with you. One of the principles that I see in Nehemiah, and I, I tell people this all the time I, when I go to share around the country, around the world, wherever I am, before you tell it to many, tell it to a few. Notice Nehemiah's actions. He gets permission from the king to go back to Jerusalem. And I say now, God always co-signs for people with faith. I'm, I'm sharing uh, often now that vision, uh, that, 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 that vision is, is, is empowered, all right, by currency, all right? And faith is the currency of vision. And so what happens, he goes to the king, the king uh, gives him permission, and now that faith is moving, he says, by the way, king, I need your American Express card. And uh, the king says, all right, and now he's got an American Express card, he's on his way, and he begins to uh, get all the supplies that he needs. That happens from just speaking faith and believing God. When God is on your side, he's already opening doors, all right? And so by the time he gets there, here's the key. Notice that Nehemiah does not get there and call a city meeting and call all of the city and all of Jerusalem together and say, I am now here and I have brought forth the strategy and the program we'll use for uh, community revitalization. That is not what happened at all. Nehemiah does not go there waving his flag and, and showing his resume. He shows up even in the dark at night and the Bible says he finds a few men he finds a few people, all right, and says, come and go with me, and let's take a little tour. He does not call everybody together. Tell it to a few before you tell it to many. If you can't convince a few people, you're not going to convince many. And so rather than calling a community meeting and a congregational uh, meeting, he calls just a few people with him, and he says, let's walk. And before he tells them what all is going to happen, what all your problems are, he just begins to walk with people. Walk through that community. He walks through what's going on, all of the debris, all of the, uh, the, the, the wall that has come down, all of the garbage that's every place. And then he finally has to get to a place he can't even walk all the way through. They have to get off their beast and, and climb up. And once they're there, Nehemiah speaks these words, you see the distress that we're in. I want to say to all of you today that, that, that are welcoming, uh, that are watching with us today, before others can see it, you must see it yourself. Mm. And before you get others to walk where you want them to walk, People walk where you lead them, not where you tell them. And so as a result of that, Nehemiah is walking with them. And then all of a sudden, when they recognize he's not trying to be a big shot and not trying to get accolades from everybody, and he says, do you see what distress we're in? And they say, we see the distress, we'll rise up and build. You got to be able to show people not only what it is, but then take them to a place for what it can be. And all of a sudden, hope is sparked in their heart. And as a result of that hope, they begin to say, we can do this. And everything changes because of the approach that Nehemiah had. You don't have to be a big shot to have a big influence. If you can remain humble and walk with people, God will give you the grace that's needed to make change.
Are you following Avail on social media? If you answered no, what are you waiting for? You can enjoy encouraging content, get updates on all our latest resources, and connect with leaders just like you, all from the comfort of your couch. There's no better account to visit in between appointments or over morning coffee. If you haven't found us on Instagram and Facebook yet, look up The Art of Avail and click follow. We can't wait to see you there. I love that. Okay, so everybody in the chat, type in there, faith is the currency of vision. Type that in. I love that, Bishop Maglin. All right, so here's what I want to do. Bishop, I have a few more questions, and I think some questions are coming in. But before I go to the next question, I want my Avail team to help me out. Avail team, let's put in the chat the, the offer today. I want everybody to connect. If you are here right now, you don't have this book, you need to get this book. Right now, our Avail team is going to put the link in the chat. What's the link to? Uh, the link is... For those who do not yet have an Avail membership, if you're not on Avail, you're going to be able to get this book for free. Not only are you going to be able to get the book for free, there's actually an offer that you're going to get six months of the Avail journal for free. We're going to talk that, about that in a moment and look who's on the cover of one of these. <laughs> That's coming up in a moment. But you're going to be able to get the book for free and you're going to be able to get the journal, the Avail journal uh, for six months for free. I guarantee you, you are going to want this. If you're already on Avail, just go ahead and click on the, go to theartofleadership.com and you can get the book yourself. You can get the book. It's, it's well worth it. I think you should give this link to a few people that you don't, that you know aren't on avail yet. So they can get this book. They can get uh, some free avail journals. You're going to bless them. You're going to add value to them. Now here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. When you go on that link and you're not on avail yet and you want to get the book for free, all you're going to have to cover is shipping and handling. That's all we ask you to cover the shipping, but there's actually a little tab that says, please add the masterclass bundle. That masterclass bundle is going to include the new book by Bishop Jerry Macklin, The Canvas of Tomorrow. It's going to include the companion study guide, and it's going to include the masterclass videos. Bishop Macklin did some awesome videos that support the book. As you're going through the journey of the book, you're going to be able to get some feedback and some insight from Bishop Macklin, uh, and, and it just brings the book to life. You want to go for the Masterclass Bundle, 100%, no doubt about it. At the very least, hey, if you're not on Avail, get the book for free. Uh, just pay for shipping and handling. It's on the link right there. If you're already on Avail, go to theartofleadership.com, purchase the book, and either way, I recommend upgrade to the Masterclass Bundle. You are not going to regret it. Okay, Bishop Macklin, I'm going to give people some time to take this all in, to go check out the link. Here's, here's a question that kind of came to my mind as I was looking at, uh, you know, and kind of reading through the book and going over the titles. You, you talk about, and you mentioned it already, fighting above your weight class. I think sometimes um, there's leaders who, who are hesitant and maybe intimidated, and they're here, and they might even think and believe God's called them here, but there's something holding us back. Can you speak to that? Yes, thank you. Um, thank you very much. I, I think part of what holds us back, well, no, no part about it, it is, is, is the fear that we're moving into an area that we have little control over. Mm. That if I step out there, I'm going to have to face some real giants. I'm going to have to face some things that I'm not prepared to face. Whenever I'm in that situation, I almost inevitably turn the stories in the Bible just give you so much firepower. I go to stories that are very simple, stories like David and Goliath, <laughs> and the fact that Goliath is, is loud, he's this, he's that, and he's standing up there threatening everybody. But I love what David says. I just love that. And, and I begin to say that to myself. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? 
the nerve of him. He's not just fighting me. He's coming to me with a spear, a sword, a shield, but I'm coming to him in the name of the Lord of hosts who he's out here to try to defy. You understand, I'm not showing up by myself, all right? I'm coming to you with the power of God. When you know that God is on your side, your side is the winning side. If you're on the winning side, you can't lose. If you're on the losing side, you can't win. And when you recognize that God is your partner in all of this, God has your back, God says, you speak and I'll speak for you. You get out there and I'll fight for you. This book tells one story after another, after another, after another real down-to-earth stories of what happened to us as we took on uh, the enemies of the street, the enemies of the neighborhood. And I want to tell you that all the enemies are not street enemies. There are some enemies that are much higher than the street-level enemies, but they're all there for a purpose. But God says, listen, if I'm on your side, I've got your back. I have this. You can do this. God is just looking for somebody who's willing to take on the Goliath and speak the word of God. Can you imagine what happens if saints begin to raise up and in the atmosphere we live in right now, we need saints, we need believers to open their mouths and not allow the circumstances to define us. But we've got to define the future in the eyes of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God is waiting to happen here right now. You can do that. And so who are these that are coming up? We need to speak God's word and be convinced within ourselves that there is nothing too hard for God. Once our church had that down on the inside and we began to embrace that, we took on some things. One of the stories that we'll tell you is what happened uh, when the, the Lord gave us new ways of going about ministry. Many times we think that ministry is grabbing a, a, a megaphone or a microphone and putting it up outside and listening to everybody. But I think one of the loudest messages we ever preached in this community, we preached it for several days straight during Holy Week a few years, quite a few years ago. We preached every single night without saying a word. We were outside. And uh, several of the uh, Oakland Raiders that had gotten saved, they were coming here uh, at the time. We were glad to have them and uh, wonderful men. Uh, but what happened, the Lord spoke to me and said, listen, during this Holy Week, because we, we had started having Holy Week revivals, they were powerful. And then later we started having that revival at 5 a.m. in the morning and you, the church would be packed out at five o'clock in the morning. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people were coming from everywhere to have early morning service during Holy Week. But this particular week, the Lord spoke to me and said, listen, tell the saints to meet you here every night at seven o'clock and walk this entire neighborhood, our, our campus, which is now called this neighborhood that nobody wanted, is now called Glad Tidings Campus. It's a whole square block and more where the condominiums are, the houses are, different properties and all that we're doing in the neighborhood now. Uh, I mean, large apartment buildings that are now named, you know, Glad Tidings or Faith Manor and all of that. But before then it was all messed up. And I remember I told the saints, meet me here. We started out, I think on a Sunday night and what we had was hundreds of people. And I said to them, do not talk. Let's preach without saying a word. Let's preach without saying a word. I said, we're going to walk this entire campus. And it's a large block. We're going to walk this every day, day after day after day, until we get to Friday night. And when we get to Friday night, we're going to walk it seven times. We're going to use the, uh, the model from the book of Joshua. And I said, and then at the end of that, we're going to let out a shout. Well, we walk two by two. And I said, I don't care what happens. Don't open your mouth. Don't say a word. Don't respond to police. Don't respond to nobody. Just walk. It's amazing what happens when the righteous walk, when the saints begin to walk. Well, that happened. And there were hundreds of us. And we would walk two by two. We were on the sidewalk. We weren't breaking any laws. And so they really couldn't stop us. We were just walking around the corner. 
uh, this, this huge block. And there were hundreds of us walking side by side, even our kids, and nobody said a word. It scared everybody in the town. Well, I guess the other thing that scared them is that at the, at the, at the front of the line was uh, I had the torch when I got ready to start. And one of the Oakland Raiders said to me, said, uh, uh, Bishop, can I carry that torch? And I looked at Terry McDaniels and, and he looked at me and, and I recognized he was in better shape than I was. So I gave him the torch. So Terry has this torch and he's got his muscular, you know, physique out there in front. And uh, he's walking with this uh, with this torch. And there are hundreds of us walking behind him side by side. And we're walking all the way around this campus. And boy, we walked the first day and the whole city by now was like, what is going on? We walked the next day. By the time we got to the third day, man, the police are rolling around. People are on bicycles. They're, they're looking out the windows like, what is this church getting ready to do? These people are crazy. We never said a word. We'd walk all the way around. About the third day, a lady comes out on her balcony, an elderly lady, and she looks out the, on the balcony. She sees us walking, not saying any words. And she says, the Reverend told y'all to stop selling these drugs. He's going to burn this whole town down. Well, of course, <laughs> Verge, of course, I wasn't going to burn the town down, but uh, they didn't know what we were getting ready to do. But I knew we were up against a spiritual warfare, not just folk on the street. And it was really a war to see what was going to happen. By the time we came to the seventh day or the, the, the Friday, whatever day that was, we've been walking that week. By the time we get to Friday, we walk this entire neighborhood seven times in a row. Nobody's saying a word. When we come back up the street on the last go round, my God, my God, you could feel the, 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 the ground under our feet begin to shake. You could feel it in the air. You knew something was getting ready to happen. It was the clash of good and evil. And by the time we got back near the church, we'd already built the, the, the new church. By the time we got back up here and let out a shout, you could hear that shout for miles. And it just went on and on and on. And all of a sudden, we knew that the power of the devil had been broken. I looked up and people were running out of their apartments, running onto the streets. Many of them had their hands raised, people saying, pray for me, pray for my family. Others were saying, I want to be saved. It was a God moment. If there's ever been one in this town, it was a God moment. It was not a Jerry Macklin moment. It was not a glad tidings moment. It was not a reason for nobody to boast. This mm. was God's power being released and it changed this neighborhood. Wow. What a powerful story. I love this, Bishop Malcolm, because you're challenging every one of us to think bigger. You're challenging every one of us to, to have faith. You're challenging every one of us to take those steps towards God's calling, towards God's purpose in our lives and in our ministry. I love this. I love this. I want to remind everybody that we are we are right now talking with Bishop Jerry Macklin about his new book, The Canvas of Tomorrow. He kind of talks through the story of Nehemiah, uh, the story of one church in a challenged neighborhood. Hey, that might be your church. That might be your ministry. That might be your family in a challenging place and time. These are challenging times. And, and I really want to encourage you right now, our Avail team is putting in the chat, the link one more time how you can get this book for free, how you can, if you're not yet unavailable, and how you can share it with other people so they can get it. And if not, you can go to The Art of Leadership. If you're already unavailable, go to theartofleadership.com, get the book. But here's my recommendation. Here, here is, it's honestly, it's a no-brainer. 
the masterclass bundle. If you upgrade to the masterclass bundle, you're going to have the book. It's a hardcover book, beautiful book, The Canvas of Tomorrow. It's going to have a companion study guide so you can, you can journal your journey along with Bishop Macklin. And you're going to have access to the 10 videos of his masterclass video series that go along with each chapter as you're going through the journey. I think a lot of people need to hear this. You know, Bishop Macklin, as we're coming, as we're kind of rolling to, to the end here of our time together, I want to, I want to just I want to hear from your heart why you think leaders need this this book, the message in this book. I think I think you've been able to tra- blaze a trail that a lot of us need to now walk in our lives, in our cities, in our states, in our countries, in our regions of the world. Why is this message so important for leaders? Thank you very much, uh, Pastor. One of the things you see when you come to Glad Tidings, you come here to Hayward. One of the things you notice, you drive through this neighborhood at night, it's not the same neighborhood you drove through years ago. The Lord gave to us as we began to take over properties, one behind the other, behind the other, behind the other, never had any money, but God just would open doors and we began to take on houses and apartments and condominiums and it was something else. We ended up, we ended up rebranding this community by building and erecting 40 plus pillars of light. These are brick columns that are very distinct, like you would see on a very expensive, you know, college campus with big round globe lights on top of them. When those lights come on at night, it lights up this entire community. You don't know whether you're at Stanford uh, University or you're at one of the Ivy League colleges. These columns come on and they light up and you know wherever you're coming from that what in the world is going on here? That all comes from this principle that every church, every ministry can take on. Light shines brightest where it's darkest. Mm. Brighten the corner where you are. And rather than just waiting for some big break to come and you end up with this big, gorgeous facility out in the area that nobody, you know, perhaps uh, knows where it is yet, what can I do in the place where I am? What difference can I make? in the corner that God has assigned me to. And if I can be faithful here, God can trust me with more. He entrusts with those that he can trust. And so what can I do here? So now in this neighborhood, there's these 40 pillars of light, more than 40 pillars, all right? And they're in properties. And as you drive around the neighborhood, you see these pillars with lights on them. And every pillar uh, that's on uh, uh, here in the neighborhood, almost all of them have a, um, a quotation on there. Two thirds of them are from scripture. The other thirds are just inspirational. And uh, they're on those pillars. And they literally, when you walk through this neighborhood, you can walk from pillar to pillar and recognize that God is speaking to you. What are we saying to those who live around us? How do we impact their lives? It can be as simple as putting a banner on your church and changing it once a month. Begin, start somewhere. When COVID broke out and everybody was scared and, I had, and they had a right to be, it looked like we weren't sure what was gonna happen next. We got these big banners and put them up on four or five of our buildings and on our fence around this neighborhood. And the banners simply said, we believe God. Uh, The other day, just Saturday here, uh, the other day I said to the churches that we're responsible for here in the Bay Area and and Northern California, about 60 churches, I said to them, I said, listen, uh, brothering and sisters, let me say to all of us that are are here, let's minister 
to more people than just our congregation. Shine where you are. Do something where you are. You can make a difference. And that's what this book is all about. So you'll find this 40, these 40 plus pillars. You'll find another wall that's called, we call the Jerusalem wall. It runs a thousand feet throughout this neighborhood. And this was a neighborhood when, when people would just run through it and do whatever they wanted to, run in your backyard, run through your house. And we put up this fence, this, this, this not just a fence, but it's a wall. And it's much taller than just the six foot wall. And uh, they said to me, you can't put that up there. We got, we got regulations. I said, I know you do, but please understand, people in my neighborhood hurdle six feet. So that's not a big deal for us. And we had to put it up higher. You can still get over, but you have to be really, really motivated. Praise God. And, uh, but that fence runs throughout this neighborhood and brought security to all of our neighbors. All right? We made a difference. Do things that are beyond yourself. Make a difference for others. And watch how making a difference for others makes a difference for you. That's important. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor. I love it, Bishop, because um, everything in this book, everything in your story, and everything you're really encouraging us to is a church, a ministry, an organization that actually impacts the community. Uh, uh, and I love what, I love your first line. Light shines darkest. Where, uh, light shines brightest where it's darkest. That's such a good truth. Here's what I want to do. I want to remind everybody today. Today, this month's book of the month. Our author of the month is Bishop Jerry Macklin. The book is The Canvas of Tomorrow. You can see it in the background, right behind him, right now. Beautiful hardcover book, along with the. Hey, here it is. If you're not on a veil yet, you can get this book for, for free. Just click on that link that's right there in the chat. If you're already an Avail member, you can go to the uh, theartofleadership.com and you can just order the book. If you're an Avail Plus member, by the way, you all you get the book of the month because you're already subscribed to that. I encourage that. But here's here's the kicker for today. Go on, go on that link and click, I want the masterclass bundle. Add the masterclass bundle. Why is that the best deal? Because you're going to get the hardcover book, beautiful book. You're going to get the companion study guide to journal your journey along uh, an amazing book and an amazing experience. And you're going to get access to uh, Bishop Macklin's masterclass video series, 10 videos that have been produced with excellence, with a lot of heart that go along with the book. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. I want to mention this, Bishop Macklin. This is the Avail Journal. People that get your book for free today, they're going to actually get six months of the Avail Journal for free. Wow. Uh, yeah, that'll that'll bless their life. And you know, when you're when you're moving in the avail circle, uh, you're having others impart unto you, and that mm -hmm. continual impartation uh, makes a big difference in your ministry and your outlook. And so, I want to give a shout out to that, and for the many many tools that you find in the avail circle. So, thank you so much for all of that work. Yeah, and and let me just mention in the last edition, there's an awesome awesome article with the man himself, Bishop Jerry Macklin, and it's entitled The Canvas of Tomorrow, Transforming Your Community with Creativity and Vision. Awesome article. Um, you, you, you guys are going to love the Avail Journal. You're going to love this new book, The Canvas of Tomorrow. And by the way, we love it when you share it. You can copy this link in the chat, share it with other pastor friends, ministry leaders, uh, community leaders, people that you think are going to learn from this, grow from this, share that link with them. We want more people to get it in their hands. And like I said, 
go for the masterclass bundle. You want to get the companion study guide. You want to get access to those masterclass videos. They're going to be a blessing. What God has done through Bishop Macklin and Glad Tidings um, Ministry, what what he is what he's continuing to do, and I think what's going to come out of this book is huge. Bishop Macklin, as we're coming to an end here, um, what would you what would you just leave on everybody's heart? You know, you know they've had well, an opportunity to your story. Share with us. Thank thank you, Pastor. I want to say to to all of us that that none of us succeed alone. Uh, there are so many others that come to bring value and encouragement to speak into your life uh, that make a difference. I, I do need to give a shout out uh, to the Church of God in Christ. We have many great denominations. I've served uh, for a number of years as the, uh, uh, the, the, the president for uh, the, the leader for Pentecostal Charismatic Churches of North America, where there were many denominations, and I was honored to serve there, uh, made great friendships and, uh, and friends. The Church of God in Christ gave me opportunity uh, to move across this country and around the world into various communities, various crises that I was sent to. And I have great respect for those men and women, uh, Kojic Charities that, that, that blessed me to work there, that use many of the principles that are in this book. Uh, we were able to learn, we were able to expand upon, we we're able to build on, because nobody succeeds alone. All of us need each other. Let's bring value, uh, not only to, to what we do, to our church, but let's bring value to the kingdom of God as we go forward, as we look forward. And that's what I hope that we'll, uh, people will take away from this book. And uh, my heart goes out to the many men and women of this church who put their lives on the line, walk with me when others wanted to send me to heaven before God was calling me. And I will never forget them. I love them so very much and my family that's with me, Virgil, that's stuck by my side, my wife and my children, who I love so dear, what it means to have people by your side. You're not alone. God is with you, and he'll let others walk with you to succeed and bring glory to his kingdom, and it's all about him, not about us. What a good word. What a good, thank you for that. I love that. You know, um, uh, I want to let everybody, just right now, if everybody on the chat, there's people from all over the States, all over the world, if you can just take a quick moment and just put in maybe a one-liner, what did you receive today? What what touched you? What encouraged you? Just put a little, a little line of what nugget you're taking home. A few that hit me, light shines brightest where it's darkest. <laughs> Go as far as you can see. And then you'll see farther. <laughs> few, there's few challenges without troubles. So much leadership gold that was shared today by Bishop Macklin. Hey, everybody, here, here's the deal. You can, If you're not subscribed to Avail, you can get the book for free by going to this link. If you're already subscribed to Avail, okay, then you, you can't get the book for free. But you can go to theartofleadership.com. You can purchase the book. Here's my, here's my recommendation for any and all of the above upgrade to the masterclass bundle. You're going to love it. You're going to be so encouraged. I'm seeing some of you put some, uh, uh, some of those tips in the chat that really stood out to you. Bishop Macklin, on behalf of Dr. Sam Chand, Martine Van Tilburg, on behalf of the Avail team, we just want to say we honor you. We're so proud of you, and we're so thankful uh, that you would pour yourself into a book like this to reach and impact so many people. We love you, brother. God bless you, and God's strength be with all of those who are going forth in ministry in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Avail Podcast with our guest, Bishop Jerry Macklin. For more leadership resources, check us out at theartofleadership.com. Make sure to claim your free annual subscription of the Avail Journal at availjournal.com. And if you'd like to connect to our growing leadership community on Facebook, visit availleadershipconnect.com. As always, I'm your Avail Media host, Virgil Sierra. Muchas gracias. Thank you for coming.
connecting with us to learn the art of leadership here at the Avail Podcast.